Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. God's Word speaks of two laws. Law number one is what we refer to as the moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. Law number two is the ceremonial law. Now, the ceremonial law is in the Old Testament. And you can read the book of Leviticus. How many people in here have read the book of Leviticus? Okay, there are things in the book of Leviticus, you know, talking about what to do if you got leprosy and what to do here and there. And the ceremonial law was written to the nation of Israel. And in the moral law, the Ten Commandments, God gave us uh, some specific commandments. Thou shalt um, love the Lord your God, you know, not have idols, not use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. And we break God's moral law. And when we break God's moral law, which is based on who God is, is based on God's character. God has instituted this temporary law called the ceremonial law that's in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament because Christ came and fulfilled the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law would refer to festivals and feasts and specific things that the nation of Israel did to foreshadow what Christ was going to accomplish when he came and he lived and he died and he laid down his life as a sacrifice. However, we have many people today trying to obey and to keep the ceremonial law. We have many people today who are trying to earn their salvation by keeping the moral law. And the Bible says if we break one law, we broke them all. We're guilty of all of them. So we've established in prior weeks that you and I cannot keep God's moral law because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God in his glory represents all of his attributes, his love, his holiness, his justice, all of his attributes that are reflected in his moral law because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And God's moral law reflects that. So the moral law applies to the Old and New Testament. But the ceremonial law was temporary in the Old Testament. And so on the other hand, you have people who think, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I'm in the New Testament. So I don't have to worry about any of this. So Paul is going to address that argument. Because that's, that's another danger, is when we take that position. In fact, the moral law of God is repeated by Christ and the apostles as commands in the New Testament. See, Moses received the law, and it says, Honor your father and mother. And then Paul wrote about the same thing in Ephesians 6. He said, Honor your father and mother. So all of the moral law, all of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Jesus repeats them. 
The apostles repeat them. And so God has this, this uh, standard that's based on who he is that you and I are called to live. But the challenge is, is we, we fail in trying to do that. And we feel guilty. And that law makes us aware of our sin, and then we come to Christ. And now Paul is addressing this. Now that you're saved and you belong to Christ and you're united to Christ, what should your relationship be with the law? Should you just forget about it? Or should you keep it? And yet there were people back in the New Testament who tried to keep the ceremonial law and the moral law. So they said, yeah, you come to Christ, but then you just continue to live the way you used to live as a Jewish person keeping all those laws. And Paul had to just work all of this out. Imagine when Jesus came and he walked and he taught, he was crucified, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles, and all these people start coming into the church. We think we have challenges. Can you imagine all of these people who for 2,000 years had been living a certain way and now there's a tremendous shift and change? And they had to sort it out. And in the, the teachings in these letters to the churches, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Paul is addressing a lot of these issues. And yet here, 2,000 years later, we pick up the Bible and we start reading it. And we act like we're the only people in the world that God is talking to. If we could simply understand the larger context, the history, the culture then we would know what God was saying, not just to us, but what, he, what, was, what was God saying, what was the Holy Spirit saying 2,000 years ago to this church at Rome? See, they had Jewish people, they had Gentiles, and they were trying to sort all of this out. And if we can understand this, this history and this cultural background, then we can be closer to understand in this specific application for you and I. Because God's word does not change. The truth of God's word does not change. And what God is saying is that I created the world. And in the world that I created, there are moral laws. And those laws reflect who I am. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from, from me. That the Father created the world, and that his children sin and they're separated. So God designed a plan that I will send my son into the world to die for their sins so that they could be saved. And I am going to foreshadow what Jesus is going to do through this ceremonial law with the nation Israel that I will choose and prepare to be this channel through which the Messiah will come and that I will reach all nations so that all nations will come to me. And he placed it in such tremendous order and placed it all together. So here in the New Testament, 2,000 years later, our salvation is grace. God gave us what we could not do in ourselves. He gave us a way of salvation through Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. All of the things that we are unable to do, Jesus accomplished. And when we come to Christ and we're united with Christ, 
We are forgiven and we're given freedom over sin. And we saw last, uh, last week, you know, we are dead to sin. But now Paul's going to make the argument that we're also dead to the law and that the law cannot save us, but we are receiving of another, the Holy Spirit who comes in us to help us actually obey God's moral law. So that in the New Testament, if people say, do I have to keep the law? Yes, we keep the law because it is keeping the commandments of God. God's law, God's moral law is based on God's character. So when we become like Christ and we're trying to be like God, we're keeping the law, but we don't do it in our own strength. And we don't do it to earn our salvation. We do it because Christ is in us and we follow and obey him and his law guides us. So that if you and I, if we say, honor your parents, do not lie one to another, stop stealing, don't steal, don't covet, don't do those things. They are things that you and I should take to heart because they don't reflect God's character. But the strength and the power to do those things is not in the law itself. It's not in our, our flesh but it's in the Spirit of God living in us, helping us to live the life that God expects of us. So Paul is teaching the church of Rome about their relationship with God's moral law and their salvation and their sanctification. Salvation is us becoming right before God based on what Christ did for us, and sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ through our relationship with God. So let's look at the text. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that people listening to Paul uh, send this letter, they knew the law. They were raised and taught the Old Testament law in synagogues. So they knew the law of Moses, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband. As long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while the husband is still alive, and she is, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not as an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters... You also died to the law through the body of Christ. When we came into the body of Christ, when we placed our faith in Christ alone, we were married to Christ. We were joined to Christ and united with Christ through faith. And not only were we dead to sin, but we're also dead to the law, meaning that that is not the source of our salvation. That you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, what is the fruit that we bear for God? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds a lot like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the Ten Commandments. It's just Jesus is talking about it from the inside to the outside. In the Old Testament Ten Commandments, we kind of find that this is what you should do. But Jesus said, you know, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
But I tell you, if you look at someone with lust, you've sinned. The law says, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, don't be angry with somebody without a cause. So Jesus says, I came, I fulfilled the law. And I did it from the inside out because I did it because that's who I was. See, you and I can't do that. When we do the right thing, we don't do it because that's who we are. We're simply just doing the right thing. But with the Holy Spirit inside of us, with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and being in relationship with him, you actually can love people from within. So that when you don't kill people, you're expressing God's love because that's who you are in Christ. That's more than just obeying. Because don't you know there's a lot of people who can look pretty righteous on the outside? They can keep all the rules. But you take a trip with them for a couple of weeks. You get to really know that person. And what's inside is going to come out. And they're not as good as they appear. So it's really a false sense of righteousness or false sense of uh, reputation. It's not who they really are. But see, the Christian life is not, not about pretending to be something. It's about becoming like Christ from within. I know some people that are wonderful people who love the Lord, but doggone, they have a problem with their reputation. It's like if they ever, they might get mad one time a year, but the one time a year they get mad, it's going to be in front of people that, you know, and the thing is, is you feel like, well, I know this person and I know they're better than they appear. And if you feel that way about yourself, you say, well, people just don't really understand me. I really do care about people. You know, God sees it and knows that. And your focus in life does not have to be marching around, keeping a set of rules, trying to appear and impress other people. That if you will simply focus on being united with Christ and being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, let the Holy Spirit within you work out your salvation. And if people don't, you know, and messing up is actually a good thing because it teaches you humility. And it causes you to base your confidence not in what people think about you. You will go crazy trying to maintain a reputation in a small town. Praise the Lord. You know what? I, I have been in you know, this small town probably for 10 or 15 years, and it is nothing like growing up in this city. I tell you what, people can get things so twisted and confused about you. I was sitting in Bojangles one day when I was working at that many years ago, and I was teaching somebody. I was actually doing my job. I was teaching them the procedures of Bojangles. And there were a couple people just, just staring at me, and I couldn't figure it out. I could not figure out why those people were staring at me so hard. They were trying to figure out why I was talking to this young girl. They couldn't understand it. You know what I was doing? I was doing my job. I was teaching. But you know what it appeared to them? Because I overheard their words. They formed all these horrible, nasty, evil, self-righteous judgments. And that's when I realized, this small town, people talk about people. People get it all confused and think they know everything. 
You know what? Praise God, I am dead to that. I am dead to that. You know what? I simply don't care. I'm going to follow Christ, and I am not going to worry about what somebody thinks or twists in their mind. And you need to do the same thing if you want to be set free. You know, because people will talk, they, they don't see your heart. And what's in the heart is what's important in our relationship with Christ. And you're never, you might be able to fool people, you might be able to appear like some righteous, holy person and be totally rotten to the core, but you won't fool God. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to change you from within and you focus on Christ, then what's inside and what really matters will bring glory and honor to God and will bear spiritual fruit. And when you stand before God Almighty, the only judge you and I need to be concerned about, you will be well done, good and faithful servant. That type of righteousness is not accomplished by trying to impress people. That type of righteousness is not accomplished by keeping a set of rules that's kind of twisted to your favor, doing the things, focusing on the things that you know you can do while ignoring the things that are difficult. The righteousness that we're talking about, the morality that we're talking about is the love, the joy, the peace, the spiritual fruit that is the result of our union with Christ. And as Jesus would say, supersedes the law because it's the law from within to without. It's the motivation behind it. It's the inward as well as the outward. It's who God is. God is loving. God is joyful. God is peace. God is holy. God is righteousness. God is everything that we are trying to be in our character. And that character is accomplished through relationship with Christ, working within, guided by the moral law, but not under the law in the sense that we were before Christ. So important to understand the difference. Verse 5, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, when we were trying to do it in our own strength, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. See, when we try to do things without Christ, we become discouraged. And the law tells us what we should do. And we're trying so hard to do it. And we're feeling like we can't keep it. And many of us just give up. And the law actually makes us, not the law, but we allow the standard of the law to overwhelm us such that we are discouraged. And by knowing this law, we don't become more like Christ. We just become more aware of our sin. Finally, it says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, by realizing that the law is never going to make us right with God, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So when you stand before God one day, if God says you got two, two choices here, first choice is we'll look at your life and we'll look at the Ten Commandments and we'll see how you do. Do you want to do it that way? 
I'd be like, Lord, is there another way? <laughs> can, I have, can I hear plan B? Plan B is you come to Christ. You humble yourself and you come to Christ and you say, I am in need of a Savior. Because when I see his law, you know, I can't do it. I'm not concerned about everybody else. I'm not watching everybody else and judging them because that's not going to mean anything before God. I'm concerned about me and how I fall short with that law because I don't keep that law. And I certainly don't keep it the way Jesus talked about it. The one who, who, wrote, who gave the law, the one who fulfilled the law, the one who is perfect, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am not like Christ. I am not like his moral law. So I come to God and I trust his provision. In the Old Testament, he said, take this innocent lamb and offer it as a sacrifice. Those things were, were symbols of the future. Those things were types of what would happen in the New Testament. We come to Christ, innocent, perfect Christ, without sin. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we trust him. And he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And now we serve God. And my motivation is not to gain my salvation. My motivation is to simply become like my creator. To become like the one who loves me. He died for me, so I will live for him. And it's done by following this law, but not being bound to it. See, God's moral law is based on his character. And the law is written on our heart. So even without the Ten Commandments, we know what is right and wrong. If I wanted to explain to you how do I know God exists from the physical laws, the way he created the universe, fine-tuned, intelligent design, and his law written in my heart that I have a sense of what is right and what is wrong. There's a moral law written in my heart. It's revealed to me in Scripture, and it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ lived that life. God's moral law convicts everyone of falling short of his glory. Like God's character, the moral law of God is pure and holy. And Paul makes it clear that the law is not wrong. God's moral law is not the problem here. The law is good. The law is holy. But we're sinful. We know what is right. But we keep on doing evil and are falling further away from God in despair. And one thing the Lord has shown me, that if you sin, imagine if this is your relationship with God and you're separated, and if you sin, you walk further and further and further away. And until you repent of that sin, you're further and further from God. A person, you look at someone who falls away from Christ, like Robbie Zacharias, who commits these horrible sins and crimes, and you think, how could this man do this? This man who preached and did all these things, I'll tell you how he did it. He started sinning, he didn't repent. And then he sinned a little more, and he didn't repent. And he just kept on, you'll go further, you don't stop going away from God. When you live a sinful life, that's why when you see, you know, I had a student one time in sixth grade, they didn't do anything 
uh, wrong of a large-scale nature. They didn't smoke pot. They didn't take other drugs. They were not sleeping around. They were not stealing. They were not doing any of these things that we would consider very horrible. See, look at that same person 10 years later when they take their life because they become so strung out with drugs 10 years later. How in the world did that happen? Well, the person you will be tomorrow, you are becoming today. The person that you will be tomorrow, you are becoming today. One step at a time, further, further, further away. That's why sin's so horrible. It takes you further than you ever want to go, and it keeps you longer than you ever want to stay. So what must be done about this? We must repent of the sin and come to Christ and trust him to change us and to stop this downward spiral away from God. We desire a relationship with God, but we're overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of our moral failures. So when we realize that God is our creator and we desire to be right with him, that guilt and that shame, we think I can never measure up, I can never please God, I can never be like him, but we, because we're bound to the requirements of this moral law and we feel guilty in his sight, his sight in these Jewish people at that time, by then they'd realize they can't keep God's moral law. And they were at a time of just despair. There had been 400 years of silence when Jesus came before Malachi had spoken. And there were people thinking, what on earth can we do? And Jesus came, and that is the good news. The good news is that God's moral law helps us see our need for salvation in Christ. The law actually wakes us up, brings it to our attention that we're not right, and leads us to Christ. And when we are in despair, when we are to the point where we says, I cannot do this, we realize that Christ has done it. And we trust him, and we're not in our own strength. The pride, the selfishness are broken as we trust Christ and cling to him, trusting to him, for him for righteousness. We must come to Christ for salvation because we are unable to reach God through keeping his law. We are saved to serve. God calls us to him so that we can serve him. And as followers of Christ, we're called to love God and one another, which is the essence of his moral law. How does... Whoa. How does God use the moral law in the life of a believer? couple things. In Christ, God has given us the ability to know and to do his will. God's moral law written in the Bible tells us what God expects. Somebody told me one time the Ten Commandments are ten reasons why God loves us. That's, I mean, if we could keep that and do that, it's a life of blessing. It's not a set of rules that are horrible and evil. God is not keeping us from doing this whole thinking that God is keeping us from doing what we want to do and God is depriving us of joy is not true. 
We were created to do what was right. We desire, there is a hunger and a thirst inside of us for what is right and what is pure. We just give up on it because we think we can't do it. So these laws and these expectations are good things. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us to do it. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to help us do that. Three results of our union with Christ. We are dead to sin. Sin does not have a power over us. We're dead to the law. That you don't have to please God by keeping the law. You please God by following Christ and allowing Christ to live in you and being alive in Christ, you will live out the life that God expects of you. Three dangerous attitudes towards God's moral law. One is ignorance. If you don't know what is right and wrong, how are you going to do it? If we went out today, you know, we just rode through all the stop signs and we got pulled over. Somebody pulled us over. We said, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Sir, you ran through three stop signs. I didn't know that was wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Go about your way. Why would I stop you if you didn't know it was right and wrong? Just do what you want then, right? Does it work that way? No. It doesn't work that way. That's a dangerous attitude to say, well, you know, I'm just not going to read the Bible. I don't want to know what I'm supposed to do. At least I have an excuse that way. That's not right. Another attitude is being rebellious. I don't want to do it. That's the wrong attitude. I can tell you, I've been teaching school for a while. Rebellious, rebellious young people pay the cost. There, I have never met a person that was rebellious as they got older. I've never seen a young person with a rebellious attitude become an older person and say, praise God, I'm glad I rebelled against everything God wanted me to do. They don't think like that. You know what they say? You know, I did this, and I'm not proud of it. I hope you don't do it. Why would somebody say that? Because they know that rebellion is, is not good, and rebellion makes things worse. When I see people being rebellious, I shake my head. You know, when I was younger, I tried to fix everybody and change them. Now I just shake my head and pray for them. Because I know they're going to learn the hard way. I know life is going to teach them. If God says, don't do it. Like how many people say they're 16 and they say, you know what? I want to be married five times. You know? I want to I be in tons of relationships that are filled with conflict and deception no nobody you know amy was uh we were talking the other day and she was just telling me you know about a situation here's a person and and she was saying how you know it's so tragic when people don't know their value before god it's so tragic and she said this person you know they've just in five years we were only talking about five years they've been married several times had several children, and they, they had the children before they got married. And, just, and then the thing is, is they were, they were going to court over some domestic issue. Of some, it's just like, that doesn't sound pleasant. That doesn't, if I came to a young person in my class and I said, here's a five-year plan for your life. How does this sound? 
They'd be like, oh, heck no, I don't want to do that. You know, I had a student who, and the, and the weird thing is, is I caught him cheating. And here's how I did it. I took a piece of paper and I wrote one, two, one through 10, just like I had on the board, one through 10. And then in the middle of the paper, I put answer key. I put answer key. And then I wrote down 10 random answers. And I put it on my desk, like right next to his desk so he could see it. Then I said, I'm even going to turn it around facing him. And then I left the room. I came back in, I collected all the papers. The answers were totally different. The answers to the questions on the board were totally different from the 10 on my page. So I looked at it and I came to his paper. See, I suspected he would cheat. Same answers, identical to my sheet. So I told the class, I said, you know, we've had a miracle. A miracle has occurred today. I said, yeah. I said, I wrote these 10 problems on the board. And then on this sheet of paper that says answers, I wrote 10 random numbers unrelated to what was on the board. And I thought, is it possible for someone to try to do these and just randomly come up with these. And it has occurred. And this kid, this other kid, not the one we're talking about, this other kid, he raises his hand and says, well, Mr. Warren, if that occurred, I would think what happened was the person actually cheated. There's no miracle, but they cheat. I said, Really? And then this student says, well, I said, you know what? I need to share this with their parents and the principal, this miracle. So this other student raises his hand and he says, can we have a word outside? So he confessed to cheating. Well, the sad thing is, is his life's been a complete mess complete mess. I saw him in Hardy's one day, probably about 10 years later. It's a complete mess. Complete mess. I won't go into it. It's a complete mess. It's rebellion. This is what God says? No. Heck no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. You live that life if you want to, you'll regret it. I'm totally convinced. Totally convinced that what does the Bible say? The soul that sins will die. The soul that sins will be miserable. Paul said, travail in anguish upon every soul who does evil, but blessing honor on those who do what's right. It's a principle, folks. You can't change it. It is God makes all the rules. He's the creator. And when you keep his law, his moral law, their blessings, it's a blessed life. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of ungodly. You know, there's blessings and favor and all of those things, you know. And when we do what's wrong, there's, there's consequences and it's bad. The only question is, well, how do we do what's right? Well, there's one more danger, and that's being legalistic. There, ten rules are enough, folks. You don't need a thousand of them. Some of you want to add so much stuff to the Bible, it's ridiculous. 
You know, if you can do these 10, if you can love God with your whole heart and love your neighbors yourself, why don't we just focus on that and stop telling people how to wear their hair? Stop telling people what type of shoes they, you know, stop all this foolish stuff. Stop worrying about if people get tattoos or not. You know, why are we adding so much to the Word of God? If we simply could love God and love other people, God would be pleased. We don't need a, a hundred other rules that we make up. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus condemned that over and over again. Because what that does is when you have a bunch of nonsense that you're trying to make people do, they lose, they lose focus on what's really important. And the church is full of that nonsense. It's full of people telling people how to wear their hair and how to do all types of things that has nothing to do with the moral law of God. We're not under the Old Testament ceremonial law. Let it go. You know, if you can love your neighbor as you love yourself, if you can love God and keep the Ten Commandments and follow and obey Christ and the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. Focus on that and stop judging and condemning and, and worrying about other people and what they're doing. Follow Christ. And God's law is sufficient. You don't need to add to His law. If you don't know what the interpretation is, if you don't know the context, study the Word of God and pray about it. And, and before you start putting bondage and legalism on other people and requirements on people that they can't keep, make sure you know it's thus says the Lord and not this is my culture. Or this is the way Grandma did it. You know, those are things added to Scripture. that I grew up with so many different rules in that time about how to cut your hair a certain way and wearing ties to church, all this nonsense that has nothing to do with what Christ told us to do. It was simply tradition and culture. And we need to break free from some of that stuff. And you can tell when you get around people like that because they, they are obsessed with trying to manage and control other people. And the focus needs to be on Christ and love and grace and forgiveness and holiness from within, not from without. The way we should respond to God's moral law is taught in the Old and New Testament. We need to seek the knowledge of God's word and what God says. We need to walk in obedience. If we know to do what's right, we should do it. And when we fail, we should ask God for forgiveness. And when other people fail, we should encourage them to seek forgiveness and healing and restoration. Not act like their salvation depended on them keeping that particular rule. Their keeping of the rules and being obedient is part of their spiritual growth and maturity. And as it comes with time and people are going to make mistakes... And you and I are going to make mistakes, and we need to encourage people and help them get back up and continue to follow Christ without giving up. Finally, in summary, summer, summarization, salvation is through faith in Christ alone. There's nothing you and I could do to earn our salvation. We must come to Christ in faith and trust him. The ceremonial law in the Old Testament was temporary. It's completed in Christ. God's moral law is based on his character 
and it's the standard by which we, we try to follow and guides us into what is right and what is wrong. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers to empower us to follow and obey God's moral law and to give us strength so that when we do what's right, we give God all the praise, all the honor, all the glory because he empowered us to do it and we don't take credit for it in our own strength. I invite you to uh, respond and worship God as you feel led to, um, to respond if you need to come to Christ, to seek and come to Christ in faith. If you've come to Christ, I encourage you to pray that God would use these words to encourage you to grow in Christ. As you're growing in Christ, I invite you to look for ways to serve God and to serve Christ and to express your Christianity and your faith, not to earn your salvation, but out of thankfulness to God for what he has done for you through Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.